Hello, and welcome to a brand new podcast. My name is Jay Claude Deering. I'm an actor and a comedian. You made it this far. I hope you're settling in, relaxing, because I want you to enjoy yourselves while you're here. Have a good time. Feel free to get out some angst from time to time by yelling at me when I ask someone a question you think is dumb. Look, I'm here for you. On each episode, you'll hear from major movie stars, huge TV stars, and even some bright, shining Broadway stars, as well as second guest interviews with exciting up-and-coming comics and actors and established producers, authors, and writers. At its heart, this show is a love letter to creative people, the artsy-fartsy types. Look, we know a lot of podcasts ask you to rate and subscribe, but we... We really actually mean it because we are very brand new. And right now we're doing this as a limited season until you demand more. So if you like any of what you hear today, do us a kindness. Subscribe to the show. Give us those five stars wherever you're getting your podcasts from today. Hey, Apple Podcast peeps. We see you, Spotify folks. Hey now, Google Podcast fam. Hey, Stitcher people. What's up, you freaky pocket casts? cats. We love you all equally, and we hope you love what you hear, and we want to keep bringing you new episodes of this show. You can also follow me, your host, at Deering on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow our show handles on Twitter and Instagram at Things Are Going Great For Me. There you'll find our link tree that has links for our email list and Patreon. On our Patreon, you'll find bonus RSS feed interview coverage from some of our guests, including further insights about the future of the entertainment business, plus exclusive photos and videos, some truly funny moments that happened with our guests during technical... <laughs> during technical difficulties, and more. Much more. So much more. Oh, and by the way, we're very lucky to be sponsored for this limited series by Icelandic Glacial, the purest tasting water on Earth, sourced from the legendary Ulfus Spring in Iceland, naturally filtered through ancient lava rock, making it naturally alkaline with the perfect balance of dissolved minerals for taste, and certified carbon neutral for both product and operation. You are what you drink. Be a force of nature. Icelandic Glacial Bottled Water. Natural spring water sourced from Iceland. Available on Amazon, IcelandicGlacial.com, and a retailer near you. Today's guest is Chris Pine, star of Wonder Woman 1984, Star Trek, A Wrinkle in Time, Into the Woods, Horrible Bosses 2, Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit, Unstoppable. He's one of the biggest movie stars in the world. I tried to get some moments from the man that might be new and exciting to learn, so welcome to all the pine nuts tuning in. I'll be speaking with him in a few minutes. And a little bit later, you'll also get my conversation with Geo Parsons, the writer of the upcoming film Willie's Wonderland, starring Sir Nicholas Cage. The film has been described as Nicholas Cage versus Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> and the most Nick Cage movie to ever Nick Cage a Nick Cage. The script made the prestigious blood list in 2017 and has trended number one on Reddit three times in the last year. It's an inspirational 15-year overnight success story of how a longtime playwright and actor and first-time screenwriter managed to get a script into the hands of one of the most bankable movie stars on Earth. So stick around for that interview. You're not going to want to miss it. And by the way, hello to all the Willy's Wonderland fans. I know you're passionate. I hope I did you right in that interview. Now, along with me on this journey is my producer and my co-host, Winston Carter, a podcaster in his own right. How you doing, man? How you doing with all this being inside? I'm good. I'm well, you know, relatively relatively good. Uh yeah, uh it's the first time I've ever been described as podcaster in his own right. Uh <laughs> that's a new it's a new title for me. Is that too formal? Uh, uh no, no, it's not formal enough, really. Um <laughs> All right, fair enough. Okay. Yeah, no, it's good. I'm good. No, I I mean compared to we're all doing fine, right? We're doing <laughs> We're all great. doing fine. Yeah. And 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 we're all doing our best. That's right. So, well, thank you for joining me, buddy. So where can people find you online? Online? So I'm on, yeah, uh, I have a podcast uh, called 
Try You Like It. Uh, that's on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on Instagram and Twitter as Winstonius. Um, yeah, so at Winston, I-O-U-S, uh, is where you can find me online. Okay, great. And so, yeah, you talked about your other podcast. This is your, is this your second podcast? This is actually my third. I had a podcast when I was 22. I thought you were going to say you had a podcast when you were 12. And then I had to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a podcast when I was 12. Uh, Yeah, 97. Uh, It was wild. Um, (laughs) It it was was all about the movie Space Jam. Yeah, it was about about the movie Space Jam. It was called Jam Jam and Jam. Uh, And it was all just us riffing. Just really giving it to Michael Jordan about basketball, uh, Michael Jordan, and yeah. and and spreaded fruit <laughs> yeah. that you can spread on bread. Yeah, talk about basketball lessons about life was the tagline for the show, <laughs> and yeah, it was great. No, uh, no, I did have a podcast briefly that I wish now I had kept with because like I had one with my brother where we talked about nerd stuff. Oh, cool. Uh, I mean, really, now that I think about it, so far before the po- like podcast really hit that. We maybe had the opportunity to be like, because we were also talking about nerdy things. Like, we could have been one of those, like, you know, there's early adopters of all media that you're like, that is not good, but they were here first. Oh yeah, so well, I love we that could have been that, that kind of like it has that garage band kind of vibe to it. Yeah, there's like, well, I always just view it as like, I'm like, if you're the first person there, you don't necessarily have to be the best. You sure and, don't, and you can still, and you can still make plenty of money by just happening to be around at the beginning. Well, and also, I feel um, like with those early, when people are putting on putting videos up on, you know, like as QuickTime files on the internet, I mean, the quality of those early sketch videos people were putting up was terrible. You go back and yeah. watch that stuff now; it's like 480p. Yeah, and those people I mean, are all millionaires now. <laughs> that's the that's the because it's all about the bucks with me that's what you'll learn i'm the producer i'm all about the money L- listen man i'm glad i'm glad to hear that we, let's try to make some yeah. some a little money yeah. would be would be nice to keep us going at least um so i know you're on a brief hiatus with try it, you like it uh but it's such yeah. a great show and you were gracious to have me on that show you want to tell people the hook of that show because it's a really fun idea. yeah so that show is uh is we bring on a guest, uh, usually a L.A. chef or comedian. It's someone usually in the food world or in the comedy world uh, with me and my, my co-host, David Zwick. And then we ask them what we interview them about food. We, in advance, ask them what food they hate, like their least favorite food. And then we prepare. The second half of the show is that we prepare a menu of all different versions of that food, trying to get them to try it one last time. So this podcast was planned since before this year. Mm-hmm. But it did take on added meaning because of a global pandemic. Um, yep. We decided to bank all the episodes and then release them. So this series is also a time capsule. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was a smart idea? I think, I mean, I view this as like, I, I've taken very much the attitude throughout all of this that uh, for me, I've been working really hard on creative things. I've been doing this and I write and I've been doing music stuff. Uh that's what's getting me through it. But also I don't discredit anyone who doesn't, who's like, I can't do anything. So anyone's approach to how they're going to get through this very difficult and weird time that none of us have experience with. Yeah. uh, Any way is right. Um, As long as it doesn't hurt anyone else is kind of my theory. Yeah. I think Um, that's a good way of looking at things. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's good that we're doing this now. And I think it's, it's interesting that we are capturing, uh, you know, it's you've 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 taken a show, 
uh, called Things Are Going Great for Me. And then, like, now it's in a time where things are not going great for anyone, really. No, exactly. And that's yeah, we very, talked a little I mean, bit about the title yeah. and whether we should change it. You know, mm-hmm. it's the, th- the title always worked as an idea that would cut both ways. It, it could either be earnest or ironic. Yeah. Um, the for me right now part feels a little... Um, like out of place but hopefully in the future it will make more sense but if it were just called things are going great i feel like that would have been that would have hit in this moment i think a little bit harder yeah but uh but it's fine yeah it's, it's supposed to be i excited. mean it was originally supposed to be about creative people and but there are some very worthy conversations that we got here with folks talking a little bit about how that exists during this particular mm-hmm. time yeah, and there's, I mean, it's uh, it's also, I think we're inclined, like, I feel myself even inclined to be like, well, no one wants to hear what the hell actors have to say right now, you know? Mm. But also, uh, it's valid. It's all valid. There's no well, the, and wrong the, way. And the business is taking on quite a bunch of hits. I mean, the, I don't know if anyone's going to, I don't know how many people are still going to be represented after all of this is done. I mean, there was a big mm-hmm. story that CAA fired 90 agents. Mm-hmm. and furloughed 250 yep. assistants. So I, I don't know really what the business is, but one thing we know for sure is during this time, people have been Netflixing and HBO Maxing to the max this yes. during this time. So I think like, I do think, uh, and at the same time, there's a sort of a middle class in the entertainment business and a lower class in the entertainment business, which is the mass, you know, the vast majority of performers who are out of work um, the arts mm-hmm. is suffering. Broadway has completely shut down. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of order of importance, I think, you know, certainly acting in this profession is not at the top. But, um, no, but I, I think people do turn to entertainers during times like this uh, to help them get through these kinds of times. No, yeah, I think it's incredibly important to, uh, I mean, we don't as a like people always say like well oh like actors get paid too much well that's really just the top tier right that's like oh yeah yes yes uh brad pitt makes 20 million dollars a movie or whatever more but the vast majority don't make that much the vast majority it's a hobby that you work a bunch of jobs you don't want to do to provide that you can keep doing it's like a passion in that way do you remember that you know so Pine's interview was the first one we did back in April. Yep. And I think it's important yeah. to mention that again because a lot has happened since then. Um, yes. Do you do you remember when we sat down when you were helping me test out the mics and we talked about Chris and the possibility of trying to get him on the show? Do you remember? Yeah, when, I remember it was. Do you remember when that you, was? Uh, when that was? I mean, it was like late March. Is that when that was? Oh my God. It feels like yeah. it, f- it feels like it was even before. Yeah. Before that. But it was before everything shut down. Yes. It was, I think, we were probably talking about it. I'm trying to think. Because I, I went, I started working from home, I think, the second week of March. And then it was probably like a week or two after that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Is that, it, that was it, huh? Just a week or two later. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Uh, what did we think were the chances at that point that we would get him to come on and do this interview? Oh, I remember that. I mean, we had talked about it. I was like, well, that's if we get him. Well, then it's all been it's all worth it if we just get this one interview. <laughs> yeah, we were uh, like, I had it. I don't think I did my second interview for three weeks later. I just had Chris's. And I think I thought like, well, if I just did this, like, 
maybe let's yeah. just release this like because there was so much going on and and the depression was sinking in about what was going on um and i guess i've had those moments once or twice at least th throughout all of this as as we sort of as i kept plowing through the interviews and um the thing that i think was sustaining though about doing these individual interviews was those moments of getting to touch base with people and check in with people in a way and have mm -hmm. some, you know, sort of longer, meaningful conversations that I otherwise didn't have even before this, uh, pandemic. It is like, at the very least, it's like worth that just to like, Oh, I have a, I have like, I need an excuse to talk to my friends. So here it is. Yeah. And I don't think I taught, I didn't, I mean, the folks on here, I haven't talked to some of these folks I know because we've worked together and mm -hmm. uh, some of them I know for a long time, but I don't think I've talked to any, I, or I don't think I've talked to um, maybe half of these folks for this extended period of time, because I think either you're seeing them at a comedy club or you're in rehearsals with them for a play or you're on set mm -hmm. with them Um and, you know, even when you're on set with people, there is a lot of sitting around. Sometimes I think you do have sort of deep, meaningful conversations. Sometimes you're just kind of on your phone a bit too much. I've, I've talked with some folks on here about that, too. Mm, yeah. um, all right. Well, I think we've done plenty of talking up front. Uh, cool. Folks, you have been very patient as we went through some housekeeping stuff. Without further ado, here now is the very erudite and charming Christopher Whitelaw. So have you ever done a podcast before? I mean, I know that you've done some reporter stuff, but is this your first sort of like your buddy's podcast? Yes. Yes. All right. So this is a world exclusive. It is indeed. Fuck yeah. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Sure. Sure. Um, it's sweet of you. And I think it also, I think it speaks to your character, man, that you would help a buddy out. I'm very appreciative. Of course, man. Of course. Of course. Um, so one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is to interview people who are just killing the game mm. and, and then juxtapose those with interviews with some folks who are out there just still kind of hustling, but things are going great for them because they booked a, a guest star on TV that week. Oh yeah. I wanted to I want an audience to get I think that much needed perspective. Mm. And I want and I wondered if perhaps the wins feel just as high and the lows feel just as low for a movie star and a day player. What do you think about that? Uh it's a really good question. Um do you feel like there's a limit to how much you can celebrate yourself uh, when <laughs> when when things go great? Um, that's a very, uh, that's a very astute question. Uh, yeah, it's, it's in a, in some ways kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, it's, um, Oh my God. Um, I have no idea what that was. You just pulled up oh, a, a, a Berkeley uh, reference, a, a, well, an Ivy league school reference out no, of it's, nowhere. It's, it's, you know, simply put, it's just that, um, uh, if you have your basic needs met, um, um, house, home, hearth, food, um, that you can then spend <laughs> your time thinking and doing other things, meaning that the, the yes or no to a question doesn't have, um, uh, doesn't have, um, isn't an existential question. It's a question of, 
Um, do I want to do it? Does it fulfill me? Um, yeah. What is my purpose? What am I doing here? All of these very flighty and um, not flighty, but intellectual pursuits that are valid on their own, but certainly aren't don't have the primality or whatever of of certainly of how I was raised. And I was raised by parents that were day players that went through the ups and downs That's of, right. of auditions and interviews and and lean times and um, right. full times. And so I am very hyper genetically and by nurture aware of those those wins and when they blow and when it's good it's it's bounty and when it's not it's it's incredibly debilitating so when you get those wins there is a euphoria that is really because it has it it's about your existence it's about whether or not you can afford the rent or the um you know food on the table to send your kid to school and all that there's great euphoria yeah, I think, I think, it, that's I think right. as it goes on, you know, um, it's just a different experience. And um, 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 that's a good question. I mean, I, 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 uh, I certainly think that uh, it just sends your brain into different, I think, different uh, avenues of investigation and, and things don't become as black and white anymore. I mean, I remember when I got my first, I'd taken out, I was 20 um, two and I'd taken out, I'd thought I had like $500 in the bank account. I didn't, I had to take out money for rent and I was like $700 overdrawn. And I got a, you know, my first gig, which was for like 2,500 bucks on a, on a, um, I don't know if it was, uh, what the fuck was it? Anyway, but you know that twenty five hundred bucks was was a light. It's a game changer. That, right. that was the next two months of my life taken care of and secure. And um, so yeah, things are things are definitely different, but uh, no less. Uh, the game is always interesting. That's for sure. Do you still get disappointed with stuff regarding your career? I mean, there, I remember hearing a story about Sean Penn was frustrated at some point. He couldn't get a movie greenlit that he wanted to direct. Is nobody happy sure. in Hollywood? <laughs> I mean, if you're of a certain bent, there's always reasons to uh, to drive yourself into misery. There's you can always reflect yourself off of um, someone else's, um, you know, uh, there's always ways to compare yourself to other people. That's that's for sure. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm I'm human and, and certainly have done it uh, myself. Um yeah, I mean, I, I guess who would you, it's. Who uh, would you, I think I've got to ask for the audience. Who would you compare yourself to? Can you answer that question? Do you think? Do no, you have I mean, to look I, back I don't. At some of the greats from before your time, or or folks who are no, I you know I, uh, I, uh, I I have been asked that question before. And I, the way that I always answered is, I guess I I would hope to be uh, my own man and my own yeah. actor and have my own career. There's certainly people whom I for whom I have incredible respect, but no one's career uh, matches, I guess, precisely my, my ambitions or my motivations. And quite honestly, a lot of my ambitions are um, still up in the air. I don't, uh, I've been pretty able, given uh, an incredible amount of neuroticism to, to um, kind of play it granularly and take it, take it moment to moment project to project and and when it feels right i pull the the trigger and when it doesn't i i don't 
you know, uh, speaking of comparing yourself to, to people on a, on a lighter note, do you think it's possible at this point for my career to catch <laughs> up with yours? <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, man. I mean, that's that's the greatest. Don't lie to great. me. Don't you lie to me. I am, I'm not I, lying to you. I mean, I that, got a that's couple the... recurring roles. You don't have to be polite. I'm 38 years old, no, man. Give it to there's, me straight. Uh, there's, um, I mean, that is the that is the name of the game in 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 a business of art is that it can take things can take dramatic turns for the better or for the worse. That's what it would have to. It would have to be All a the dramatic time. turn. Yeah. But I mean, I remember like I remember um, listening to Adele on kcrw and uh, you know one morning and she was in studio and you know and within i felt like within a month she was a massive you know uh, yeah. music star and the rest is history so i i think that things can you know the rocket ship is still there for you to jump on claude hey man i'm i'm suited up i'm suited and booted yeah. um there you go, dude. so listen so i wanted to ask you so you're not on any social media is that correct I am on on none. In fact, I'm borrowing my uh, girlfriend's iPhone. Uh, you said that. My... You said you have a flip phone. I do indeed. I do indeed. Oh my god! Do you do you, so? You don't have a a a, a Pierre Delecto account hanging out out there, just so you can jump into Twitter and check out the Scuttlebutt from time to time. Do you know about the Pierre Delecto? Pierre Delecto and Scuttlebutt in one sentence. Uh, sounds, <laughs> I'm just trying to match your your, super, your 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 super, ver, your verbosity, buddy. Super interesting, but what <laughs> what the fuck is that? Pierre Delecto, you haven't heard is the oh that's the Mitt Romney had this. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I did hear that. So that oh, he I could did, I did hear go that. on it. I don't know if he was trolling people. On no, there. I, I don't know. No, what, I, that, what I heard is that he would go on and. Um, <laughs> If this is right, he would go on and read the comments about him, and then he would oh, he God. would anonymously respond to people. Oh God, that's so sad. I think so. I mean, I think so. he's he's had some sort of more, uh, I would say, important. Uh, he's made he's had some some good moments as of late, but that is pretty. He has indeed. He has indeed. Sad. That was a pretty brave thing he pulled. Yeah, I agree. So, so there's a franchise that you're a part of that has a, a very rabid fan base out there. And, of course, I'm talking about Stephen Sondheim fans. <laughs> what is you're it like? Very, tr very true, though. What's it like very being true. part of the Stephen Sondheim universe? Yeah, it was uh, – that one came out of the blue. I had no idea what – I really had no idea what Into the Woods was. The only musical – I knew Phantom of the Opera because my mom always played that in the house growing up. And then um, and then Guys and Dolls because I'm a Sinatra and a Brando fan, obviously. So those were like yeah. – that was my education uh, full stop. So I really had no idea what I was getting into. And then uh, – you know, you take it on, you're having a good time, you're taking the vocal classes somewhere, you know, in North Hollywood, and then you end up at Abbey Road Studios Holy with shit. Sondheim, like, picking apart your C-flat. So know? he's a, he's, <laughs> he's he's quite an intellectual dude. So what, what was it like just in your, did you did you gain a, a, a bit more of an appreciation for the construction of uh, a song while working with him? I mean, I'm sure you did, but I'm just curious what your insights were. Um, 
Yeah, my run my run in with Stephen was very brief while we were recording the songs. You know, it's obviously a huge cast and a yeah a pretty stacked cast at that. I think Stephen was probably much more interested in confabbing with uh, Meryl than Meryl. he went with uh, me and Billy. But um, he I, he was a lovely guy. He was I remember yeah obviously as one can imagine like hyper specific like just uh just a threading a you know a, a fine needle um uh you know that that's one of those things that i think my my brain was so my brain was so worried about doing it right and doing it well that i didn't even have time to think about um the complexities of of what went into it i will say the it delighted me to no end doing that part and singing those songs. So, yeah. you know, just like any good music, like any good, like a sonnet or Shakespeare, the musicality of it, the inherent musicality of the words and, and the music and that structure um, kind of lifts, just lifts you. It immediately, you kind of, you go on that train, you go on that ride and it, it um, I've had an f- absolute blast. I can't wait to, I hope I get a shot at doing something like that again. You, you did great. I thought you were great in it. Um, Thanks, Drew. All right, I'm going to move on now that every uh, Star Trek fan is upset with me. Um, <laughs> I'm going to move on, and I'm going to say, uh, so are you working with Tarantino on the next Star Trek? What is the latest? I haven't heard any. I mean, I get these questions all the time. I'm like the last person to find anything out. Um, uh, so I've heard, I've heard, what have I heard? Tarantino is going to do one, and then... Um, uh, who's it? Noah Hawley was going to do something mm-hmm. else, and then that fell through, and then he's going to do something with the Discovery, um, the new Alex Kurtzman, you know, led cast. So I really don't know. I, I you know, I know that Paramount is um, um, is kind of coming out of having restructured a bit and um, kind of a major corporate. Um, um, uh, yeah restructuring so um hopefully when all that dust settles something concrete will come out of it and we'll get to work i'd love to do it have you ever met the man who tarantino i have man yeah i gotta say he's i mean he's a he is a very cool dude um i uh i've been to the academy awards a couple times and i always take my uh my mom and uh and we have a great old time and, 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 uh, laugh a bunch and she holds all the, uh, power bars I need to get through four hours of no food. Um, but anyway, we ended up at, uh, this great party, the, the vanity fair party that they always have at the sunset tower, which is one of my favorite spots just cause it feels yeah. so, so old school and so old Hollywood. It so is. It's, a, it's very elegant. A, yeah. It's, it has a romance to it that, you know, I think, uh, unfortunately we've kind of lost anyway my mother uh my grandmother was an actress in the 30s and 40s and there, yeah, she obviously has a bunch of my mom a bunch of posters of these films my grandmother was in and um was looking to get them reframed and was asking about the best spot to do it so she, i introduced my mom to quentin quentin knows everything about my grandmother oh my god she he knows Film names, co-stars, directors, production designers. Holy hell. I, I wow. mean, it's just un- unbelievable. So they end up talking for about 40 minutes. 
uh, and I went off and, you know, got another martini. Um, and then lo and behold, once upon a time, uh, comes out and, um, I see it. I love it. I call my, my folks and ask them if they'd seen it and they saw it, loved it. And my mom says, you know, that scene at the, uh, at the ranch when Dern's there's a TV on. I said, yeah, I vaguely kind of remember this, but she said on the television is one of my, one of my mom's saying this, one of my mother's no. films. No way. Yeah. So I have yet to uh, get in touch with him. Um, my mother actually wrote me a, an email that I was going to try to forward to him, but it's obviously, I mean, it's so sweet of him. I know he, I'm assuming that was, that was done on, on purpose and kind of a nod and, um, yeah, it sounds is, like he such... was smitten with your mother and very, and, and I, and I have since heard that he is, he's a fan. I mean, I, I I've, I've heard him say that he's, he's, he's a fan of yours. And, um, I, I think that a lot of people would love to see the two of you collaborate. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to do it. I, I don't know if he's retiring or what, but um, just the fact that the fact that he did that, just uh, my mother was ecstatic. Yeah, uh, just ecstatic over the moon. I so I heard from a mutual friend from one of our mutual friends that when you were first reading the script for the first track film that you did, that you were looking at Captain Kirk and going like, "What am I supposed to do? Like, how am I supposed to?" do this um, iconic role. Do you remember what that felt like all these years later? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I assume you're talking about Greenberg. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, One of our friends. Yeah, who's, what's, I was... what's, let's plug Greenberg real quick. What's he doing? Yeah. He just, Will Greenberg. He Will, just finished a new Will show. Will Greenberg. Perfect Harmony, I think. Check out Perfect Harmony with Will. Check out, check out anything with my main man. That's Sleazy right. Green Greenberg. Um, uh, I was, I'd been doing a play at the Geffen called fat pig and I auditioned for, um, I auditioned for it and was so kind of busy doing the play. I didn't even, I really didn't think twice about it. I didn't do well in the audition. Didn't think anything about it. I went off and did a film that I absolutely had the worst time on came back. Um, and then my agent was like their audition for star Trek's back. And I went, I really was in a, place of like wanting to move to new york and just disappointed in the film world and i don't know do theater or something and um and they convinced me to go in for this audition and i went in for the audition i think with the same sides and one of the sides was uh i want to say when i first meet uhura and i'm flirting with her which that's a lot of fun just because it's comedy but then the other one was really hard. It's a bunch of garbledy gook on the on the um, on the bridge, you know, photons and the phasers and all that kind of stuff. And you know, it's it's difficult to do when you're sitting in a plastic chair, you know, in a conference room. Sure. So, oh yeah. Um, but JJ in the room was so fucking incredible, and he, he's just so animated and so alive and so enthusiastic, and he's he's a lover of acting he's a lover of cinema and and that that flipped the whole vibe in the room and I, I felt like i could do anything and i i really credit his openness in the room for kind of opening me up and letting me do my thing and um that was that great i can you say at this point if wonder woman 
is going to be released digitally. Do you have you heard anything about the plans for that Wonder Woman 1984? Uh, I have not. I mean, I got uh, I got sent a couple um, emails that were just forwards from like Variety or whatever, wherever things were um, popping up about it. But uh, I'm pretty. I this is, I have not heard anything, but I can't fathom that they're going to do it digitally. I just can't. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be a, a film a cinema release. Have you have you made a conscious decision to not play a superhero, at least not a, a live action one? I mean, you've played a lot of heroes. Uh, uh, no, I haven't. I just haven't. Movie. I really haven't gotten. I'm gonna make sure I'm correct about this before. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've been offered one. Um, I don't think I've been offered. One. No, I haven't. But you're and, in this and, great superhero series with Gal Gadot, and you're supporting her. Your your job there is to support. Really, would you is would would you say that? Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. She is the star, and she is the um, she's the one with the superpowers, and I'm uh, woefully, uh, human and, uh, fallible and much weaker. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, no, I had, I, yeah, I really, I, I had, uh, I have a great time with that cast. I have a great time with Patty. Um, the character has vibes of, you know, it, it, uh, tickles my, uh, Indiana Jones, uh, bone. And, mm. um, and, uh, I love the character. Yeah, I, I really, I had a great time doing it. And, um, and, uh, the less time I need to spend in, um, any sort of rubber suits, the better. <laughs> I mean, it does sound like a drag. I don't know that I'd want to be, it doesn't sound like a drag. <laughs> I should, I should not say that. I, again, like I'm in no <laughs> position to say like, it sounds like a drag. I'm so sorry. President of Hollywood. Where, if you're listening, um, but it does sound like, it's tough. I mean, I was just watching a documentary on the the making of the old Star Wars films, and like the poor dude playing three PO when they're shooting in like Tunisia or Morocco. Or yeah, Russia, right. Like the suits going into his shins and everything. Like it just <laughs> they're, they're burning up, and there it just sounds very sounds like it sounds like tough work. Um, yeah. So is it tr- is it true that you passed on that Jeremy Renner role in the town to in in favor of doing Unstoppable with Denzel? That that is true, actually. And that turned out to be yeah, a very, I, perhaps a fortuitous choice. I don't know, man. I mean, I saw Renner and I saw Renner in it, and he just absolutely slaughtered that role. I mean, thank God that's how it worked out because God, he was good in that. Um, I much better than I, I would have been. I think um, it's a killer, killer um, part. I really wanted to work with um, with Ben. Um, and really, like, I think if just on the page, the town really spoke to me. But in terms of working with Tony and Denzel and working with Denzel for the majority of my time uh, on the film, I, there was just no possibility I could turn it up, turn it down rather. And and I, it was one of the best experiences of my career. And I got a chance to get, you know, become close with Tony and um, who yeah. was just a mega star in my book from, you know, ever since I was a kid and, and learned from one of the best actors of the past uh, 
you know, yeah. film history. So Absolutely. I, I think I think I scored. What was the first thing you saw Denzel in when you were growing up? Do you remember? Oh, um, really good question. Uh, maybe. God, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Philadelphia, or maybe uh, he had a hell of a run there. I mean, he did Glory, Philadelphia. Right. He did a Grisham. He did Pelican uh, Brief. Yeah. There you go. Pelican Glor- Brief. Glory exactly. was the first thing I saw him in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a what a what a fucking run. Yep. I remember bumping into you at the ArcLight movie theater once, uh, and we were walking out and chatting. All of a sudden, we were running. And I said, why are we running? And you said, there's a paparazzo following us. And sure enough, there's a little <laughs> dude following quickly behind us. Um, there's no question here, really. I just want to tell you that as a buddy, I found that to be a sad moment. Um, and I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry that that's part of the gig. Uh, yeah. I, that for, I, was, I will say for the first, the first year or so, it was a really uh, just the most difficult thing to get to get used to I'm a, I'm a pretty um um pretty uh i'm you know like my anonymity as anybody else does um and i was living in this small apartment on silver lake boulevard and when the movie came out star trek and that's when things you know anonymity started to kind of crumble uh you'd have like six or seven guys stationed outside of your window um with long lenses and people poking around your trash and all that kind of oh, shit and getting, wow. you know, fast car races across, uh, Silver Lake and whatnot. But actually it's really mellowed out now is just, I'm barely, uh, although I did, my girlfriend and I did get popped going to Gelson's shopping. <laughs> do you know, I actually did see that because I was trying to do my a little oh, bit weird. of my research the other day, and I, I, I oh, wondered weird. if that was a recent photo. And sure enough, in the midst of uh, everything going on, yeah, I saw that they grabbed a photo of the both of you. Yeah, I guess I, what I what I, what I'll say is that when, especially when it's out of your purview or out of your, you're just not even thinking about it, and you turn a corner and someone's pointing something at you i would imagine it's the same reaction as if someone were pointing a gun it's like yeah someone is focusing uh you know a spherical object in your direction so immediately your fight or flight just gets pumped like crazy yeah um so it's the chemical reaction more than anything else i I would be terrible about it if i was ever in that position i think i would have there'd be a lot of bad tape of me uh, <laughs> just losing my cool, more like yeah. Fraser Crane, not like I'm a badass. Nice, or anything. nice. Just nice. being like, what's going on here? Um, oh, good, good line reading. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, so back to the that night at the ArcLight. One of the things that I thought was particularly cool was that you managed a very quick and a courteous goodbye to me, and then you darted into a secret door, and I was like stunned. <laughs> so here's my question: Do you have staked out? secret passages out of most places in LA or is that, is that someone's job on your team? No, that's just part of the secret celebrity network of uh, <laughs> maps and, and locations for safe drops and uh, quick exits. Right. Led by uh, Matt Damon, yeah, Matt Damon and the Masons and the Illuminati. But um, that's, you know, it goes into other stuff. Brando had said everyone's acting all the time. Do you agree with that? Yes. For the most part. Do you think that that means uh, being an actor in real life is inherently metatheatrical? Do, do you ever catch yourself performing the role of yourself? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Sure. Sure. Is it hard or is it something you slip into easily? No, but by, by which I mean, by which I mean, um, I, by which I mean, I can tell when I'm putting on a face, so to speak, in a certain moment to achieve something or to be seen a certain way. Um, that's anything from going into a social situation where perhaps I'm not all that comfortable, but I put on the happy face and smile and shake hands and play the part of a, you know, of being super comfortable when I'm not mm. could be, um, yeah. could be, uh, um, I mean, it could be any, they're, they're, they're these, and I think if everyone were really tuned into it, they'd find, they'd find a lot of it, um, in their lives. So, um, yeah, I, I think having an, an aware, a really good attunement to those different masks and when they go on and what they are and what they're about, what they look like to know that there are weapons in your arsenal to know when they're useful and when they're not, and whether, when they're kind of obfuscating the, the uh, full perception of your authentic self, those right. are good things to have. I think. Um, yeah. When are you going to do a movie with Bill Hader where you both play brothers? <laughs> Never, I've never, uh, that's the, I've, that's definitely the first time I've had that question, Jay Claude. There's some murmurs on online that the two of you would be great together in something. Well, I have to say, I haven't, um, I've yet to check out his show, which all of my friends absolutely love. Yeah, it's great. Um, Barry. Yeah, I got, I'm, I'm dying to, dying to check it out. Um, I feel like maybe I met Bill, uh, Anyway, I'll get back to you on that. I want to check out. I want to check out the TV show. All right. So listen, I got. I'm going to put money in the bank for you. Okay. Ready? Sure. Okay. It's a Bill Hader, Chris Pine action comedy about a mild, okay. a mild mannered crisis counselor. That's Hader, who's pressured into breaking his fire festival Billy McFarland type VC fraud brother you out of jail. <laughs> I've. I love it. Right, I actually really, really love it. Yeah, have you seen those documentaries? Yeah, they're frightening. <laughs> I mean, whoa, dude, whoa. Well, listen, it's been outstanding. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, always excited to see your latest project. Thanks, man. Uh, thanks again for doing it. All right, take it easy. Well, there you have it. My interview with Chris Pine back in April of this year. A good man for doing it. I think we covered a lot of ground. I hope you enjoyed it. Before we move on to our second interview today, and again, since this is our first episode, I'm going to take another opportunity to ask you all to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're getting this podcast from today. We've got more incredible interviews with folks like Melissa Fumero, Baron Vaughn, Chantal Tui, Ryder Doyle, and Sarah Paxton coming in the next few weeks. If you like what you hear so far, please give us those five-star ratings, leave us a nice comment, and we'll keep bringing you these great episodes. Next up is Geo Parsons, writer of Willy's Wonderland. The movie follows a drifter played by Nicolas Cage who takes a job as a janitor at a family entertainment center. Unknowingly, he's walking into a trap where he's meant to be sacrificed to the venue's demonic animatronic mascots. Yes, you heard that all correctly. I cannot wait to see it. 
here now is me talking with my buddy, Gio. So, man, I recently, so I saw you recently at an audition. Uh, and you had quite a story to share. We ended up talking for about an hour afterwards uh, on the phone. Yeah. And uh, that's one of the main reasons that I wanted to have you on was for you to tell your story. Um, but to give the listeners a little context, you and I both met about 15 years ago in an acting class uh, with our buddy Brad. And, uh, and you were at the time where you were auditioning at the time. You were writing plays, as I recall. And a number of us performed in one of your plays. It was super fun. You've now sold a movie with Nicolas Cage attached called Willie's Wonderland. The project was a trending topic on Twitter back in October of last year. It was recently announced in Variety that the film has scored strong foreign sales. Uh, the movie follows a drifter played by Nicolas Cage who takes a job as a janitor at a family entertainment center. Uh, unknowingly, he's walking into a trap where he's meant to be sacrificed to the venue's demonic animatronic mascots and the pitch was Nicolas Cage versus Chuck E. Cheese is that right so far yes <laughs> this movie Basically has been described you... as the most Nick Cage movie to ever Nick Cage a Nick Cage and it's one of the most anticipated movies of 2020 what the fuck <laughs> So, you know, <laughs> so let me just ask, man. So, how did this happen? Can you talk a little bit about the story of how this all came about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think uh, kind of going back to what you said when um, when we we were in that acting class together, and we were doing scenes, and and we were doing scenes from television, and scenes from uh, plays, and scenes from movies. And I actually uh, was like the monitor of that class. So I was uh, trading being able to do the class for um, assigning everybody their scenes. Right. So, you know, I'd have to I'd have to read uh, all sorts of different material because every week we had to change it up. You know, so one week we'd be doing um, some sort of uh, heavy drama, like some sort of uh, Romeo and Juliet. And then the next week we'd be doing Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> and then the next weekend we'd be doing something, you know, totally different. And we were putting up scene after scene and I'd watch it every single week. And I thought to myself, you know, it'd be, I should try and, you know, do this. I should, I should just try and write some scenes just to see, you know, if I can, if I can put something up and make it my own, because I like doing the scenes and I like doing other people's stuff, but it was kind of like, I, I wanted a, a sort of different challenge. I, I always liked making it more my own. So when I would uh, get the scenes for everybody, I'd like write up my own scene and then I would title it, uh, you know, walk into park number two and give it out to right. you or whoever else was in the class. And nobody knew the difference. They didn't know. They thought it was just some like unmade pilot or whatever. And they put their heart and their soul into doing the scene up on stage. And I'd watch those actors take the words that I had written and make it a thousand times better than I could ever imagine it. And it was, there was something about that that was like just amazing. Yeah. And, um, as I saw people kind of get, uh, uh, respond well to the material. I, I was like, 
you know what, let's just take this a step further. So uh, I started writing uh, one-act plays, and we started putting those up at uh, a place called the Pico Playhouse here in Los Angeles. And uh, here's the thing, and you know this from putting up a play. If you put up a play for like a, a certain week run, nobody shows up to, to, to go to the play until like the very last night. <laughs> So you can have, you know, yeah, yeah, you, you'll have shows and I've done this and you've done this where like two people are in the audience (laughs) or it's just your mom in the audience (laughs) or it's just some person on their cell phone. Not me, man. It was always packed. Always. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so, uh, what I decided to do was I would make it more of an event. So we would have just one night only. So it would be like one night only and, you know, we we get it set up a month ahead of time so we could invite all of our friends and we could fill the theater. And instead of doing a play for like one person or two people, we do it for 99 people. Sure. And there's an energy about being in the theater. 99 people watching a, a, a comedy show or a drama show. It doesn't matter. It, it was just there was a certain energy that was addictive. It was like the best drug there ever was. An audience clapping and responding to your material and your acting and 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 all the stuff that you put your heart and your soul into. There's nothing better than that. So we were doing that. You and I did that. Um, we did uh, uh, a couple of plays. And after one of the shows... This is all getting to Willie's Wonderland, everybody that's wondering. After one of the shows, a friend of mine came up to me, an actor, and uh, he was um, successful with a guy named Chris Messina. And he's like, hey, you know, all the stuff that you're doing is great. So wait, so Chris Messina from um, the Mindy Kaling show and uh, right from Julie and Julia, Julie and Julia. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And he was in Sharp Objects. He's he's super successful character actor, and just just and now he's a leading man. The guy's awesome. Um, so he he gave me a piece of advice, which was, you know, these plays are great. Everything you guys are doing is awesome. But if you want to be noticed, if you want to get to the next step, then you have to do a movie. Huh, and I was like, right. okay, okay, I got to do a movie. But it's not like I had the money to be able to just go out and, and finance a, a, a motion picture. And I didn't want to do something that was just uh, sort of on my cell phone because that's no one's going to really pay attention to it. I didn't think that that would make any sort of difference. So I was trying to, like, figure out a way to do this. And I thought um, – Actually, I had seen a couple of people that were in that acting class with us. They had done Indiegogo's and they had done Kickstarters and they had been able to uh, make money to be able to do the feature film or short film. This is around when those were starting to sort of uh, pop up online. We were seeing those for sort of for for the first time. Indiegogo, Kickstarter, et cetera. Yeah. Exactly. And some of them or most of them that I saw were super successful. Um, so I was like, ah, yeah, this is going to work out just fine for me. (laughs) So I, I did the Indiegogo to try and raise money for this movie about like, uh, a a janitor fighting animatronics. And I think about maybe seven people donated altogether. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it really wasn't that successful. Did I give you money? Yeah, it, it wasn't as successful as, as, as I had hoped. Did, was, was, people, I, was I one of your patrons? I, I, I'm sure you were. Actually. I, I try sure. to give everybody a little something. I, I try to throw, like, not 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 a lot. I wish I had more to give, but I try to give every— If I see one, if it's a charity thing or if it's yeah. a, somebody's personal project, I'll try to throw about 25 bucks their way. Yeah. So, I'm in the same exact boat. 
Yeah, I think I asked for too much money. <laughs> but what I was with the Indiegogos, I, I, you could keep what you were able to make. And what I was able to make altogether was like between fifteen hundred and two thousand dollars. It was enough to rent a camera and to be able to uh, pay a friend of mine who had a drone and be able to uh, buy like a costume to make like a, an animatronic bear. So it, it, it actually rolled in right at the, the perfect um, amount so I could still be able to do a short film. You were able to so, do you were able to do all of that with uh, yeah. fifteen hundred to two thousand bucks. Yep, yep, that's yeah. Pretty, and I, that's it was all impressive. it was mostly just leaning on uh, friends. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I got uh, our, their, our acting class, Brad William Hinky, the instru- you know the guy that that uh, he, he was the teacher, but he's also just a really um, really really talented actor. I put and he's huge. I put him. Yeah, in the he's bear on, he was so on he was, um, Orange Is the New Black. Yeah. Yeah. Point uh, Desi Piscatello, you know, big beard. He's so he's so evil in that show, but he's such a sweetheart in real life. Um, so I put him in the bear suit. Uh, a friend of ours named Manny Hernandez went over to his house. I used his garage. I turned oh, yeah. his garage nice. into. I've been in that uh, garage. Yeah. Like an, yeah, an old stage and stuff. And we went out there for. Uh, there was a bunch of other people. My wife Amalia, she helped out tremendously. A guy named Evan Olman was our our, our camera. Oh, yeah. My cousin sure. Douglas helped out. I, I can't thank those Douglas. guys enough. But it was it wasn't like a huge crew of people. I'm talking about five, maybe six people at the very most throughout you know, a day and a half, we all came together and just made this, you know, short film. And, you know, it didn't turn out exactly as I wanted it. <laughs> like, it like, you, I saw you it. imagine I it, it in good. your head. I think I saw it, right? Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you definitely saw it. Is it still it. available online somewhere? Or Not yet. No, we put, we, we put it, we pulled it down because... Uh, just for spoiler stuff, of, yeah, you know, yeah. People, you know, we we pulled it down. Um, I should mention, you know, I didn't get to this before I do it all short. I had written the uh, Wally's Wally's Wonderland, Willie's Wonderland. They changed the name. Uh, it yes. was Wally's Wonderland, now and Willy. now it's Willie's Wonderland, yeah. and it has to do with some sort of like legal issue or being able to get insurance for a bond. It's really so boring that I don't even know. That, you know, don't even get into it. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I had written that script, and then I just wanted to have a short so I could show- showcase it because, hey, if you give your script out to anyone in Los Angeles, it's like you're just one in a million. Like you're going to be lucky to get eyeballs on the thing, and if it doesn't end up in a trash can, then it's a victory. Right. Um, so we shot that short, and then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go for broke. I start sending that thing out to everybody I can find on IMDb Pro. Okay. All right. <laughs> like I just searched the emails for producers and people and I'm sending it out just, you know, like mad, like mad, like mad, trying to get anybody to pay attention. And uh, one uh, lady got back to me. Her name was uh, Kaylee Marsh and she ran uh, this thing called the blood list, which is like right. the blacklist. But um, for genre and if anybody, films. Yeah. It's unproduced scripts. And right. in, in that case, uh, the blacklist is like the best, regular uh or just normal or just run run the mill genre categories as well but i think that the bloodlust is supposed to be sort of more specific to would you call it would you call them like b movies horror movies yeah 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 got it and she was like yeah go ahead so she was like you know uh i hey what is this crazy short film you sent me i think it's insane could you send me the full script so i sent her the full script and she was like this is awesome you know something should really happen with this let me put it on um the bloodlust and make it a bloodless select and try and get some attention on it 
And so she put it on her website, and then I started emailing more people and more people and more people about it. And more people started to take note of it from just me blindly emailing. Uh, and one of the people that I got it to was a casting director. Her name was Venus Kanani. And right. Venus well was done. like, hey, this is a pretty awesome short. You just, you know, you could take this thing to the next level if you found a star to be in it. Right. And we're like, well, you know, who did you suggest? Because at this point, it was just going to be me fighting people in bear costumes and just, you know, it going a little bit further. And she was like, you should give it to Nicolas Cage. And I was like, would you give it to Nicolas Cage? So, and she, she's like, so she knew Nicolas Cage or she, she knew, knew his, folks, his Yeah, his she reps. knew she had a relationship with his manager. And so she gave it to Nicolas Cage. His manager, this guy named Mike Nylon. Again, probably, let me just say, the dude's, Mike Nylon's probably the best person I've, one of the best people I've met just in general in, in, in Hollywood, in the arts. The guy was so supportive of me. He's awesome. He read that script and uh, one night, read it, thought wow. it was awesome, Never thought happened, Nick would dig it, like, sent yeah. it to Nick the next day. My Nick God. read it, said, this is awesome. Let's make this movie. That's how fast and, it happened. You you hear about you send a script along and it's like no, they ne nobody ever reads it or you know you you follow up. Hey, did anyone read this? You know, and it's like no, we haven't read it yet. But in this case, casting director, uh, who who talent rep or manager, business manager, his manager, and yep. then star. They read these the script in a it, it, what one day turnaround. Yeah, almost a one-day turnaround. I think I, maybe I think it was a weekend actually because Mike had read it like on a Thursday, gave it to Nick on a Friday, and then I heard back on Monday that said, "Hey, he loves this thing. He wants to do it." Incredible. It was incredible, but then, you know, then like as far as it uh, going into production, that was a whole different battle because there's all these other factors that come into play there as far as just financing the film yeah. and getting it actually made and all that kind of stuff. But I will say like. It's it, it. Nicolas Cage was such a driving force of like, hey, this is really good. I want to make this film. Let's figure out a way to make it happen. And then you know the to their credit, the producers, the uh, the the finance people, everyone sort of came together and uh, and were able to to figure it out almost at the last minute too because here let me say this this is kind of wild you know he had read the thing he said he wanted to do it but it was still hard to get the financing it was still hard to figure all this kind of stuff out and I thought the project was just not going to happen around June or July because it, things weren't coming together as uh, much as I, I thought they could but he was like you know, to his credit, he was like, I have a month. I have a, because the guy's shooting a lot of yeah, stuff. He shoots a lot I of have, stuff. I have a month where I have nothing to do for that month and I want to shoot this movie. So everybody make it happen. It's incredible. And they, they made it, they made it happen. And let me say how quickly they made it happen is he said that, you know, at the beginning of October and then right around uh, Halloween is when the movie got like announced and the financing put in place. And uh, he suddenly like all of a sudden it starts, you know, Nicolas Cage to fight demonic animatronics and it's trending on Twitter and everybody's talking about it. And we, you talk about this stuff where like, oh, it takes a, you know, a, a lifetime be to become an overnight success. Well, that definitely sort of happened to me because all I was in Europe at the time. I was in Germany when it got announced. And I'm looking at my my phone, and all of a sudden it's like 
you know, here's this thing that I just kind of you're created tre- as a fun thing. For, for Everybody's right talking about it. Everybody's yeah. saying like, this is crazy. How weird is this? How, how awesome is this? That's incredible. Can I ask so then, anybody? Yeah, so, go ahead. so, you know, um, I, to talk a little bit about your, it takes a lifetime to become an overnight success. I want to give people just one little story about you from probably about 15 years ago or 10 or 15 years ago, however long we've known each other. Um, just to give them a little perspective on this. Do you remember there was, it was a play reading that you did all those years ago. Um, and you offered agents a crisp $100 bill in their program mm-hmm. Just if they would come out to see a reading of one of your plays. Yeah. And I was there and I remember agents showed up. People showed up. The suits came and they came for that hundred dollar bill. Yeah. Yeah. Did Uh, any of them did any of them meet with you? No. (laughs) None of them. You want to hear yeah, that's a great story about uh, I had booked a commercial and I had made a couple thousand dollars from the commercial. And it didn't, the money didn't matter to me. I wanted to get an agent. I wanted to get somebody that could send me out and give me an opportunity. And so I did exactly what you just said. I, I, I started emailing people and I said, listen, if you come to my showcase, It'll start at 8 p.m. and it'll end at 8.30 and I'll give you $100. All you got to do is show up, sit in the seat. This guy at the front will give you 100 bucks, and, you know, please just give me an opportunity. I'll even pay for it. So I was so uh, furious watching that happen. I thought your idea was uh, – I wasn't mad at you. I, I thought that's interesting. I was like, I, you know, I didn't know how that was going to go. When, but those people who showed up, I just felt like, fuck these people. <laughs> Anybody who well, showed up for that, I was like, I, 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 this is, this is gross. For uh, again, not on your part. I thought it was interesting what you were doing, but I thought it really it said something about. Particularly, we were living in a uh, a Hollywood that was supported in part by the time by all sorts of like industry related like so-called classroom experiences where people get paid a certain amount of money to come in and talk to a group of of students. So it felt very of the, of the time. So I, I sort of know, like I could understand like where you came up with that idea from, but, but I wanted to know, did any of them actually call you? Uh, They actually, the funny, the funniest story about all this is I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it's me. It's mean to me to say no, because two people, three people, three people, one person called me and said I should get a literary agent. (laughs) So one person one, said, "Like, hey, you, not me, but you yeah. should get someone else. You should, you should, because he was a talent agent. I had done this to try and get an acting agent. Uh, yeah, he's like, you should find a literary agent. Another girl, just she, she, uh, uh, another woman that was a, a talent manager. She was like, hey, you know, I, I appreciate all the effort that you put into that. It was, it was great. Thank you for inviting me. But you know, at least she got back to me. And then uh, my buddy Evan, who I previously mentioned, he was running the door. He, an agent, offered him just like you know, just as he was leaving, he's like, Hey, come by my office. I like your look. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't even in the show. It's great. That's so fucking great, man. But you know what? That's the thing is like, you know, I tried all those t- t- kind of different things to try and get myself noticed. I did that short film. I cut myself into different TV shows. I don't know if, I think you've seen that where like, where I got a, a, a film camera, like a, like a, a Panavision film camera. And I shot uh, myself, 
just using some short end uh, uh, film stock, I shot myself doing scenes from TV shows and matched it. This is before all kind of the digital stuff. Now you can do almost anything, but this is before all that. I'd matched it to like Scrubs and to 24 and to say anything. And I cut myself into those movies because I was just trying to stand out or try to do something different. And, and that showcase where I paid everybody to try and come and see me, I was always trying to do things to stand out and be different and try to get noticed. I I didn't know that you were cutting yourself into footage. That's a great idea. Um, I guess a year and a half ago, you were trying to convince a maybe a producer that Willy's Wonderland would be a hit, and he, this p- person told you to give up on it and search Reddit for mm-hmm. what's popular and make a movie of that. Willy's Wonderland has been top trending on Reddit three times since then, <laughs> including trending number one on Reddit in February of this year. That's true. No, it's you know what, and 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 half of that, more than half of it, eighty percent is that you know Nicholas Cage is the one true god on on Reddit, so he does anything, it's going to trend. But I think it is like just the I when I before even getting Nicholas Cage involved, I wanted I love B movies, you know, I love those kind of yeah. movies that that you and I would find as kids at the blockbuster at the Hollywood right. Video, these movies that kind of. That, that live on forever as just like classic, fun, stupid horror movies. And when I wrote well, Willie's Wonderland, that was the idea behind it was to make like genetically engineer it to be like the ultimate B-horror movie. And just putting Nicolas Cage in there, he was like the cherry on top that put all the pieces together that made it work. And I think that when the film comes out and when people see it, they're going to be surprised at how how awesome that man is in it. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be fantastic. Um but you know, wait, let me speak into your to your what you just had mentioned with the the Reddit stuff. I don't think that 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 I, I wrote that. Yeah, he 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 did tell me that. I I don't fault that advice. You know, because he 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 saw the writing on the wall and the way things are going with movies. It's all IP, it's all stories that mm. And you notice this when you see, um, you know, think it, just think what comes out in the theaters. Um, just it's superhero movies, it's uh, it's yeah. sequels, it's based on a true story. So his advice was try and find something that's already in the the public knowledge and make a movie of that. Don't try and be like original just because you're a nobody and this is the best way in. I, I just kind of lucked out that Nick liked the script. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and I think we hear. We hear a lot of stories about where, yeah, we hear that a lot from a lot of Hollywood types where they're saying, you know, get something with a little bit of name recognition. You know, board games can be turned into movies. Uh, Hasbro is a big production studio in in Los Angeles now. Um, anything with a little name recognition or anything that, uh, you know, that advice is, is, is probably not the word I'd love I'd be interested to hear from people who follow that advice and see if they what kind of success they've had because but certainly the more romantic story is that you know you do have something original that becomes its own uh success story and I mean on that note are is there are there sequels in mind already for what you're for Willie's Wonderland there definitely can be a sequel for it and I think if judging by the awesome 10 to 15 year old fans that hit me up on Instagram every hour on the hour. Oh, <laughs> there, there should be a sequel to it. 
there could be a sequel to it if everyone demanded. I'm sure that we would do a sequel to it. Yes. And is the um... some 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 kid said to me on Instagram the other day. He's like. He's like, uh, hey, your movie's a cult classic and it hasn't even come out yet. <laughs> That's it's like, yeah, I know, it's weird. That's what people are saying. It has all the makings of being another cult classic. And it's it, it comes after uh, Nicolas Cage had done this uh, movie, Mandy, which was sort of another uh, sort of mid-range uh, genre thriller with a name actor. So it, this, is, this, tends to, uh, this may be one of those sort of trends right now in movie making. Am I right? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, Mandy was a specific audience. I think this one is going to reach a broader audience than Mandy was. Now, Mandy was awesome, but I think that it it's a specific type of theater goer that's going to respond to that. While Willie's Wonderland is uh, much more commercial. Would, would, if you like the second half of Mandy with a little more fun, you'll like Willie's Wonderland. That's a good pitch <laughs> right there. Um, so now I read that a trailer is dropping in July. Is that still happening? Well, that's when it was supposed to drop, but with the theater shut down and so much just, you know, ambiguity about what's going to happen yeah. uh, with Corona, with Safer at Home, I don't know. I don't know. I know it's ready to go, but it, it doesn't make sense to release it if we don't know where we can show the, the okay. where we can show the stuff. So that's still a discussion about whether it's going to be a VOD or a theatrical release. <laughs> Yeah, but just yeah. because of uh, just because of the Corona stuff, be, it, everybody who's involved with it right now wants it to be a theatrical release because it's the kind of movie that you want to go to the theater with your friends and you know it's you scream, you laugh, you cheer, you yeah. you, you shadow box yeah. along with everybody, and so they really want to push it out to just be a, a theatrical release. And I think everybody's on board with yeah, we want it to be theatrical. Whether or not I don't have any control over that, they may change their minds. But I think uh, they're holding out as much as they can for a theatrical release. They're they're looking tentatively at the moment at October, but may move. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And then if if none of this had happened, then we'd yeah we'd probably already have the trailer out in July, and then it would have been around that uh, middle of October, kind of the perfect Halloween movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, uh, when a movie sells foreign, it usually spells that there's money to be made. Do you have a good fucking lawyer? Who's are you about to make a hundred million dollars? Like, no, no, no. I'm not. You know, no, 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 no. I, I, I are you about if, to make two dollars? Maybe I'll make two bucks. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I mean it making... would just be. You know, all that kind of stuff depends on the actual. Uh, profit made at the very end of the film. Here's the thing about making the money and making all that kind of stuff. You heard you you heard my story earlier about how hard it's been just to try and get noticed with anything. So that the 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 money portion of it to me, I could have made a penny. But if I was able to get in the door and be able to chase the dream that I've had, you know, since I was 17, yeah. that's totally cool. You know, it, the, all the kind of all the accolades and everybody digging the project and all that kind of uh, just awesomeness that's come along with it is 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 more important to me than any dollar that I could ever make. Well, that's very nice of you to say. A lot of people would also be like, get that money. <laughs> that's all nice. Well, that's the, we we'll get, get paid, that man. Let's get that sequel, everybody. It's your story. Go see the movie. Um <laughs> Are you best friends with Nicolas Cage now? No, 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 no. I, I, you know, you, you haven't a, been up to the he, to his castle. I've not been up to his castle. Okay. You know, I he is. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just blessed that he's a fan of mine, and I'm yeah. a fan of his. 
You yeah, know, that's that's kind of where it's at. And I, uh, a pre, you know, of all the people you think about this, we've heard this story, all this, this stuff I've tried, all the, all the things that I've done, all, all the, the the attempts that I've made. The one person that saw me in this void out of anybody in the world was Nicolas Cage. <laughs> it's like it's... you look up from the void and there's Nick and he's like, come with me. <laughs> the greatest. It's a little kid's dream. Yeah. Um, uh do you have another favorite Nicolas Cage movie? Uh, yeah, I always like because I remember going and seeing it uh, in in the theater when I was like in high school or or no, probably probably earlier than that was Con Air. Sure. Uh, I, it was it was, and The Rock. I mean, because those yeah. were those were late '90s movies, and it was just never better for me than that because you go to the theater, you camp out outside. Then they'd let yeah. you in, you get your seats. I mean, it was just a different experience. And and those two, I just kind of always remember being in the theater and being absolutely blown away. So before we, we before we shot the movie, I went back and I did a Nicolas Cage extravaganza. I, I watched okay. every single movie of his. Yeah, you watched, done, uh, just, you watched Guarding Tess? No, yeah. No, I watched every, just, <laughs> I'm telling you, I it's watched every single thing from... Uh, was it Rumblefish to to, uh, to the the latest one that he's done uh, after this one, which I think was Mandy, or maybe he did another one that's that's come out. But I watched them all because I felt like, hey, if this guy was going to pull me out of the void, I have to be more than just a casual fan. I gotta just you know show my respect and watch all everything that he's done. Yeah, absolutely. And he's got he's got such a great library of stuff i mean you know he's got he's got something for everybody that guy he's a good yeah, actor it's, it's he's like one of the hardest working people uh you, you can imagine yeah, i'm not mad and, at nicholas gage at all i like the guy so, oh yeah yeah and he, he you know and with the the character that he is in woo's wonderland it is not an easy character to be like, I don't want to give away things about the movie, but it's yeah. it's not it's, he can't he can't just phone in the performance that he does in Willy's Wonderland. It's, it's extremely difficult and it is an acting challenge. And I think people when they see the movie will realize what drew him to it. You know, I think I think people will see like, oh, wow, this is and he's been in. Let me say this. He's been in a uh, hundred movies and yeah. I promise you, you've never seen a movie where he does what he does. Wait, I'm phrasing this. You've you've never seen a movie like where he acts like. Okay, he's never done anything like Willy's Wonderland. <laughs> Use that as the soundbite. <laughs> Who got around it? Yeah, that's great, man. I believe it. Um, so all right, so where can finally where can people find you online? So I have a Twitter and I have an Instagram, and they're both the same. Geo Parsons is my Twitter handle at geo Parsons. And it's the same thing for Instagram at geo Parsons. And, uh, yeah, feel free. Hit me up on Twitter and hit me up on Instagram. I, I, if you have any questions or, and you know, want to talk to me about anything, feel free. I mean, I just, sometimes when I'm not doing anything, I'll just sit on there and just, I like it when people talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll answer any question that comes my way. Well, buddy, I couldn't be happier for anyone. Um, you deserve lots of success. Congratulations on Willie's Wonderland. A lot of folks are excited to see it, me included. Um, and I'm excited for what comes next for you. And thanks for coming on and chatting with me today. I love you, buddy. Uh, I appreciate it. And I love you. And you are the magician. And you always <laughs> will be. And that's an inside joke between us. <laughs> that is an inside joke. <laughs>
I will reprise that role. <laughs> All right, man. Good to talk to you. All right, good to talk to you too. If you made it to the end of this episode, you're my mom and maybe my dad. So thank you, Mom, for making Dad listen to my show. Dad, please follow me back on Twitter and Instagram at Deering. There are pictures of your grandkids on there. It's a good time. No pressure. And to everyone else out there, if you listened all the way to the end of this very first episode, I want to say thank you. Thanks for your trust and your time. Stay tuned because we've got nine more incredible episodes, including interviews with Melissa Fumero, Baron Vaughn, Chantel Tui, Ryder Doyle, Sarah Paxton, Brandon Scott, Christine Woods, and Tembi Locke, to name more than a few. Give us a subscribe and those sweet high star ratings, and we'll return the favor by bringing you even more quality content in the future. Our sound engineer is Christopher Frontiero, and our series composer is Cormac Bluestone. Our series graphics editor is Dan Olszewski. I don't talk to myself that often. Uh, mostly it's in fragments. It'll just be, it's not, it's not usually full sentences like this when I'm on a microphone. You know, when I'm alone, it's more just like, fuck. That's what it usually is. Little fragments. It's never full sentences. It's never, all right, I got to get out of bed today. Got to do it all over again. It's not usually full sentences like that. So this is weird. It's new for me. All right, God bless, folks. See you next time. Dum, dum.